I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. Listening to Survivor Stories is the beginning of change and actually starting that conversation that's the only way we can make a difference in society but I think for me uh, it was discovering just how trauma manifests itself and just how far for me how far it's gone that was my comfort that was my safety you're listening to short black with me Sandra Sully good women great chat OMG, this morning on Short Black, one of my most favourite women in recent years because of her courage, her tenacity, her resilience and her inspiration every day of the week. She inspires us all to keep going and gosh, she's faced some pretty big hurdles. Welcome to Short Black this morning, Elena Dokic. I am so thrilled to have you. We've been waiting months. You're such a busy woman. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. I know it's been on the agenda and planned and I've really been looking forward to it. So I'm really excited that we can talk, have a chat, especially at a busy time and the time when my second book's out. So I'm excited to have a chat with you about everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Fearless, Finding the Power to Thrive. Gosh, you had to put your heart out there, didn't you? How tough is it, the process of writing a book and being so raw and honest as you always are? Yeah, look, for me, this uh, kind of second book is almost like I know what I mean for Unbreakable, uh, which came out six years ago. That was my first book, my memoir, my life story. And that was, I would say, a really, really tough one. But also at the same time, I didn't realize when I was doing Unbreakable how cathartic it would be and that it would actually be the the beginning of my life, really, and the beginning of healing. I didn't understand and know the power of speaking up and sharing my story and what it would do for me, but also for so many others. So this time around, I feel like this book is uh, its very personal as well because I feel like it's the next chapter for me. I talk about a lot more in-depth about actually child abuse and domestic violence, which is what I've obviously talked about in Unbreakable, but also mental health, which is a big part of what I went through with depression and anxiety, and also uh, other things that have kind of ha- happened over the last six years and that have changed my life in ways which I never knew that it would. I talk a lot about body image and even body shaming and trolling as well. And yeah, I kind of feel like this book is the next uh, chapter. I feel like I went from victim to survivor to now actually being hopefully the inspiration and the hope for others. And I can hopefully help others and give them a voice and and give them maybe some, some courage to get through things in life. Well, I think you've explained, Yelena, why you've decided on book number two and it really takes us through the last six years. For me, watching you on Instagram, and you're so raw and honest on there, but gosh, you've scared me at times. 
you put it all out there and there's a risk when you do that, but you continue to do so. Why? I think it's important, certainly for me, uh, to be open and honest and raw. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. And that's kind of what Unbreakable started. I think it's important to show the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. I really uh, think that life is not on all sunshine and rainbows and a lot of people struggle out there. So I think that by being open and honest, I feel like people can probably resonate with me a little bit with certain things that we go through and then hopefully they can get a little bit of that you know, inspiration or courage or a little bit of that something maybe to get through the day and to get through some of their tough things. I, I have been silenced my whole life. I have been raised and I have been taught to be silent, not to say anything. That's our domestic violence, especially child abuse. That's how it works. I was abused uh, physically and emotionally from the age of six, and that's how I grew up and that's how I was raised. And, and I think also a little bit society and sport in general is like that. We've come a long way, even though we still have work to do. But go back 20 years and we didn't talk about anything that I talk about now and amazing women like Grace Tame and don't forget the Me Too movement and in sports, Simone Biles and the US gymnastics team. We didn't talk about that 20, 25 years ago when I was growing up even, even more. So we have been able to get to this stage to actually change something and for people to actually listen by opening up and sharing our stories and doing that by being raw and honest, no matter how hard it is to, to tell those stories because the reality of actually what goes on behind closed doors and outside of the, the public eye and the media attention, it can be even even tougher. So I feel like a real actually responsibility in a good way to do that and to fight for that. I know what it's like not to have that help. I know what it's like not to have had some of those things. I didn't, when, when I was going through a lot of my things, I didn't really have anyone that I could look up to and go, well, they're going maybe through the same thing, but they've survived it. And they've also been able to fulfill their goals and their dreams. I didn't have that. So I in a way, I want to try and be that maybe for some girls, maybe some 13-year-old girl out there will hear it and go, this is exactly what I needed. I needed to hear that someone's going through it, but also that I feel like I have a voice and that I feel like I can get through it as well. So that's why I do what I do. And yes, I think some things sometimes can be a little bit raw and a little bit hard for people to read and certainly are for me to, to sometimes tell those stories. But I think they're important because they're reality as well. And um, hopefully I can be that bit of strength and hope for other people. And that's what I kind of feel like, that that's now my legacy. That's what I want my legacy to be. Yeah, well, you do that every day of the week. But gosh, in the six years since your first book to this one, we've seen you suicidal. We've seen you profoundly depressed. We've seen you heartbroken when you lost your boyfriend after for a very long time. In the meantime, you know, you've been diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder, depression, anxiety, PTSD, the abuse from your father is well documented. Also, your body awareness issues that have really just come to light. That's a lot for any one person to have to shoulder and at times in a very alone space. That's why I kind of say that this book is the next chapter. This one deals with kind of all the repercussions of trauma 
and what happens when you've been going through that your whole life. For me, it is discovering that I have an eating disorder and the battle with depression, anxiety, almost committing suicide uh, twice, in fact. And uh, it does also deal, I think uh, I wanted to really be open about my relationship breakdown because we were together for almost 20 years. And I think a lot of people go through that and we don't often talk about it. And, and that can be life changing. It was for me where I was thriving professionally, but my kind of private life was just for the first time in 20 years, I was in shock and, and I had to adjust. So I felt like that was important to share as well. A lot of people actually have been through something traumatic in their life and, and usually there are consequences to that. Unfortunately, that's what trauma does. It's either you have mental health issues or you do have some kind of addictions as well and you do develop um, eating disorders. But I also want to sh wanted to share that because this book, it's a lighter one, especially towards the second part of the book because I talk about actually being able to get through all of that. I talk about it in a way where there is a way to get out and to get help and to be able to get through it, to find that hope and how to do it. You know, you talk about me being very open about my mental health as well, especially on social media, because I look at it as my kind of community and I want to build a community that's really supportive. But I was very open about uh, some of those low moments and, and in those posts and about getting help. And then I'm at an event six months later. And this wonderful man comes up to me and goes, I heard you, that you were speaking here at this hotel and I had to come and find you and find where your event was because I just had to give you a hug. And he's crying and going, your post about almost committing suicide that day, but you, you getting help has helped me because I was in the same place. I took those words, I went and I got help and it saved my life. Oh, wow. That just makes, not my day, that just makes everything worth it. So that's why I do what I do. And we can only do it, I think, if we listen to survivor stories. And I think a big part of the trauma that you've experienced is to actually acknowledge that there's often a delayed physical, emotional, psychological response to what you've been through. So what you're discovering in the last chapter, let's say decade, is all of these other elements that your body's been processing. Yeah. So you say in December 2022, you were diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. It's arguably one of the most common personality disorders in Australia. One in four in every 100 people, mainly younger women, suffer from this. How did it make you feel when you found out that, gosh, you had another load to carry and saw it through? In that kind of first almost couple of hours, it was scary to find that out. And I was almost felt ashamed <laughs> but then it was only for that little bit because I was in shock but then I, I it turned into being actually such a relief to find out because I felt like just like everything else I've been through it's actually a really good step to find that out because then you can go and actually see okay what do I need to do what can I do how can I help myself what are now the tools that I need to actually get through this so actually finding out is, it's such a relief. It, it lifts this huge weight off your shoulders to actually be able to say it, know what you have, be able to open up about it, but actually then from there, be able to help yourself and others as well by knowing what that is, understanding it, and understanding also what your triggers are. 
So I understand anxiety and depression and my eating disorder and everything right now so much better than I did even five years ago. When it comes to your eating disorder, how does that manifest itself for you? So I think my, my eating disorder has been going on for a very long time, for, for more than 15 years. I even had it while I was playing. It's something that I didn't know I had. I have a, a binging and starving eating disorder. I kind of in a way thought, oh, maybe that's almost normal. Um, other people deal with that as well. It's just something that kind of, you know, is a, is a given. As the years went on, I started to actually discover that it was because of my trauma. I didn't understand it up until literally a few years ago. That's why I pay so much attention and talk so much about sharing our stories and why that's important. Listening to survivor stories is the beginning of change and actually starting that conversation. That's the only way we can make a difference in society. But I think for me, uh, it was discovering just how trauma manifests itself and just how far for me, how far it's gone. That was my comfort. That was my safety. And for me, uh, once I left home, that's when it really started. After I left home at 19. And it started from there because I felt like, well, if I have no support and kind of no love from my family, who am I going to ever have it from? Because your family is supposed to be there for you no matter what. And that was the first thing I never had. I never had that support and love. So for me, that was the reason why it started. So actually getting to a stage where I'm getting help, realizing it has just made a huge difference. And only in the last few years have I really started to understand that I do have an issue. But it comes from that emotional place. It comes from trauma and understanding that it's just something that keeps me safe. And that's how my mind and my emotions work. And now I can actually work on that. We all need people around us to keep us strong, on track and supported. You have no relationship with your father. Where are you at with the rest of your family? I don't have a relationship with my father. At the same time, I, I don't hate my father. I don't hate anybody. This was never about him and even writing my book or anything. This was about me and others. I always try to go into everything with kindness and grace. That's a big part of my second book as well. Not being bitter about anything. None of this is about any retribution or righting wrongs. This is literally to try and actually help others. And then originally when I wrote it myself, because it was so cathartic, uh, yeah, I have a really good relationship with my brother, which is amazing. He's eight years younger. We didn't talk for six or seven years because my father didn't allow that because I left home and he was still so young. I'm really grateful that we we were able to reconnect as soon as he turned 18, 19. And uh, yeah, we've been really close since. So I'm very grateful for that. And then with my mum, that's been a, a tough one for me because for a very long time, she kind of had my dad's side and even when I left home she took my dad's side and she stayed with him and for me that was always kind of tough because I felt like if I had just one parent on 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 kind of my side it would have made things a lot easier and completely different at the same time I've tried to understand her reasons for it. she grew up without parents she wanted me and my brother to uh, have both parents and live in a home where there was no divorce or anything so it's a tough one for me. We've had a lot of tough conversations, but now we are in a really good place. I think she really understands what I went through. I don't think she originally did. She's been really sorry, and, and I appreciate that. I, I think always, as long as someone can even just say sorry, I'm okay with that. And we're in a really good place now, especially the last couple of years. And we talk all the time, and I visit once a year because uh, she lives overseas. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with where that's at. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We follow your journey, obviously, on Instagram. But you do have to navigate a lot of ugliness on there. How do you manage that? Because when you're vulnerable is when people seize an opportunity and pile on. And how do you navigate that space when you're feeling so fragile? I've been very open about that over the last couple of years. And I have to say, I've been uh, really lucky, I think, with so much support that I get no matter what for the good times and the bad. Are there still some negative comments that you're going to get here and there? Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's a part of social media. I do use the block button. Don't worry about that. But I think it's, again, something that I've taken on. And, and I spoke about body shaming three years ago and two years ago during the Australian Open, which we kind of feel like we're the most exposed because there's so much attention on the Australian Open and the Australian Summer. And uh, this year, I did it again, even though I've got a lot of support the last couple of years from everybody. But this year, something really changed. How so? There was a big turn, I think, this year where everyone just stood up, whether you were a tennis fan or not, all over Australia, all over the world, the media, everyone just stood up and listened and went, enough is enough. Because I... Uh, this year really exposed the messages that I was getting that were horrible. And uh, people were really stood up and said, e enough of this. We shouldn't have to go through this. Nobody should, especially I think as public figures. And you just kind of feel like no matter what you do, it's not good enough. And someone's always going to have that opinion. I, I don't mind someone having an opinion. That's fine. But I think being vile and mean and throwing out these comments that you just never know how they might affect someone. I think I'm pretty strong and I've got a thick skin, but you just never know how it might affect someone. And also, I always felt like, look, I've done all of this. I felt like amazing work, work really hard at my TV and commentary, my own court interviews. I'm a hard worker. I'm very kind, I think, to everyone. I try to do good with my own platform and, and with my voice. And then you kind of feel like, oh, that doesn't come through because someone is basing, you know, what I'm about based on my size and measurements, not my IQ or my work ethic. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Mm. The message that we're sending to the younger generation as well. So I decided to take that on because I think it's enough of sweeping that under the rug and just going, oh, it's okay. We can block it. Look, we can, but we shouldn't have to. And I think just taking a second to think about how that might affect someone or if someone that you loved that was close to you was getting those messages, how you would feel. So I think it was important that people have stood up and listened and really taking it in a positive way, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Well, kudos to you because it was a game changer, I think, at the Australian Open, and I think it was because you were so open about the avalanche of ugliness that came at you. And once the rest of Australia, if not the world, started to see how vile those keyboard bandits can be, people just sort of did stand up all of a sudden. I mean, I don't appreciate anyone commenting on someone's looks at any time. Why? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You know, in terms of the Tennis Association, have you had much support from them in principle with the journey you've been on and, and where you now stand? 
And we've had other tennis players come out and talk about not just abuse, but all sorts of issues that they struggle with. Yeah, I've spoken to quite a few tennis players and also um, ex-tennis players as well that are now commentators. Everyone's been really supportive. It was really weird, but in a good way to see that when Unbreakable came out, uh, everyone was reading it in the players' lounge. It felt so strange at the Australian Open to see that. But uh, yeah, I've gotten a lot of support and messages. I've had a lot of support come through also from Tennis Australia. I work with them as well quite a bit and they've been also extremely supportive in whatever I do and when Unbreakable came out and even with my commentary career as well, that's kind of where I got my first opportunity to do it during the summer. We've also had uh, those conversations when it does come to child abuse and in tennis as well and they have a really good program now as well, look after the younger generation and the younger kids and, and in the way that we go about reporting abuse and what happens from there. So I know they do a lot of good work and really try to constantly be ahead of the game or try and improve. And when it comes to the world stage, I can tell you that Tennis Australia has got a really good system in place. It's very reassuring to hear that Tennis Australia has lifted its game. But when we look at the international game, what else do you think needs to change? Where else could they improve to make sure that young women in particular feel safe and find the courage or support they need? It's tough because uh, tennis is such a global sport. So you're talking about the whole world. It's one of the highest profile sports in the world. The issue in tennis as well is it comes with a lot of, uh, there's an ability to earn a lot of money. And straight away, that really kind of attracts that kind of, in a way, I say pressure from the parents, putting that on young kids, especially girls. We do have different governing bodies, but the issue is that also every single country has their own federation and they can basically put in or not put in any kind of rules or regulations that they want. So that is really tough to go all around the world and see what country uh, and their federation and what they have in place. I think ultimately it is getting together, communicating and making it all one and having those rules in place. I, I think that players in general, especially when you're younger, I really, again, I, I know what Tennis Australia has. I know some of the things that the Women's Tennis Association has, but I really hope that we can have a maybe an anonymous platform where you can go and you can report or you can talk to someone and be able to get help. I, I really hope that you can get help if you're in trouble and be able to make that transition. And if you want to leave home and if you want to have a new start, that you can do that. So that is a big one. And also I really think that if a parent or a coach has committed any kind of abuse or anything that's happened and it's been reported, I really hope that they are not able to get anywhere near a tennis court ever again. I hope not. We're not talking tournaments. I'm talking in general. I'm not talking a professional level or just on that. I'm talking junior level and everything all the way to the grassroots and up. I just really hope that if, if something has happened somewhere that you can't go off to another place or another country or somewhere else and be able to continue doing the work or be around tennis court and around tennis players. So that's, I think, my ultimate goal as someone who has been through something like that would be that we have really strict rules when it comes to that because that's what we need to be able to protect the players, especially young girls. Do you remember those early days when you first appeared on national television and decided really to find your voice and own it? What was that like, do you recall? Well, I, I don't think I really found my voice and owned it up until Unbreakable came out. Um, I don't think I could. Like I said, I was 
trained and raised to be silent. And yeah, it was really hard to balance uh, trying to be a professional athlete, leave in a really abusive home, but then leave at 19 and have consequences. I still didn't feel safe with my father. I went through a lot even when I, after I left home and had to have 24-hour security and, and really didn't feel safe at tournaments. But at the same time, it was really hard with the media as well. Uh, my dad was a joke and a punchline and everyone was making fun of him, but it actually really wasn't funny at all. And I felt like no one stopped even for a second to think oh, there's two really young kids going home with this person. And uh, that was what was uh, really scary at the time. And also, I think just the fact that even when I left at 19, through kind of the media, I was never ever able to establish my my own kind of voice and who I was as a player and as a person. I kind of felt like the media never really was able to or given me the opportunity to separate me from my father, even though he was never on tour again for the next 10, 11 years. And I'm not here to defend the media, Yelena, but I do feel like everyone was so frightened for you mm-hmm. and that kind of had to take your lead in how you were going to deal with it? Look, I think uh, I'm not sure whether you can uh, make fun of an aggressive father who you have interviews with and who is aggressive and who is drunk when you're doing interviews with him. Mm. You kind of make fun of that. So I don't think that that's really, you know, taking a lead from that because I certainly wasn't doing that. But also I described in Unbreakable and even Fearless, some of those things and some of those headlines. And there is a reason why when Unbreakable came out, everybody in the media apologized and wrote articles about it. And and I'm very grateful for that. Like I have a great relationship with a lot of the media and journalists today. I'm a part of the media. But yeah, I think that there was, there's no doubt that there were some mistakes that were made there and that's okay. There is a a reason why I wrote about that. And it's to learn from that, that if we ever have something like that again, would we write articles like that today and have those headlines? To be honest with you, I don't think we would. Yeah, so true. And and there's no excuses for bad behaviour in it. And it's horrible to think that you've been through so much. But witnessing your journey, you're flourishing. Thank you. You're blossoming into this beautiful young woman who has found her voice, found her courage, found her confidence. Did you ever realise that you wanted to be a commentator? Uh, I always kind of uh, wanted to stay in tennis after I retired. It was a tough transition for me because I retired quite early because of injuries and my mental health. But I always loved watching tennis. I loved listening to commentators. And uh, some of the commentators I work with today that are amazing, I actually listened to them while I, I still played. And I always thought, oh, I would love to do that one day because I really had the passion for the game. But also I love the tactical and technical analysis. That's what I did when I played as well and trying to break down some of the things in my opponent's games and and what I needed to do. So I was kind of, um, yeah, had that in my mind. And yeah, I discovered I really love it. And it turns out, yeah, that I um, have a bit of that knowledge that I can share. Well, a bit, a bit's an understatement, Yelena. You've got a powerful grasp on the game of tennis. Thank you. But what I sort of sense is you also do so much more homework on the tour. How much work goes into that from your perspective? Because I, I sense you really get a lot of joy from that. Yeah, I do. Look, a lot of work goes into it. We do our research. 
I do watch actually tennis all year round, even when we're not commentating. Sometimes in between the Grand Slams, I'm across all of it and I always love to watch it. I think that really helps that I really have that passion for the game. But yeah, I do a lot of research. I actually still continue to listen to all the different commentators and listen to the different styles of, of commentary. And I love to learn. And I think the big thing for me is taking constructive criticism, especially early on. I took it in my stride. I didn't take it as a negative. I took it as a learning opportunity. I love different things as well where I've gone and I've tested myself and gone outside of my comfort zone with on-court interviews and now doing more uh, in front of the camera as well, which I love. I think I'm someone that will give anything a go and then from there just really work hard at getting better. But I, th- I think and I hope that my passion for the game comes through. That's, I think, number one. Oh, absolutely. And then that's why you shine. You know, you really do because you know your stuff. But you do bring a heart and a kindness to everything you do and, and clearly that comes from the adversity you, you've experienced. I'm sure writing these books, you've got to get your head right to know what you want to say. But I think one of your more powerful messages is the forgiveness that you carry. How long do you think it took you to find that forgiveness? I think uh, I say in Fearless that, look, if you can forgive someone, great. Um, I think it's more acceptance. I think it's hard sometimes for people that have been through a lot to just forgive. I think people that have been through child abuse and even 10 times worse than I have, it is hard sometimes to forgive your abuses. And sometimes people say, you know, you're not forgiving them, you're forgiving for your own recovery and for yourself to be able to move forward. I think if you can, great. But also if you can't, I think it's more about acceptance and knowing that it's not your fault. That's usually where we go with, we blame ourselves. And that's where I discovered it's not my fault. So the forgiveness was as much for you as it was for anyone else. Well, yeah, and I think that once I accepted, you know, my circumstances, I could go on from there going, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong here. And I think from there, you can move on from there. And I don't, you know, like I said, I don't hate my father. And that's a very strong feeling and word. I don't hate anyone. But at the same time, you know, he couldn't, for example, say sorry. And he doesn't think he did anything wrong. So for me, it's just, okay, it's the acceptance of that that says everything about him or whoever's done any, something maybe bad to you or wrong to you. It's more about accepting it and moving forward and not letting the past or the tough things that you've gone through define you. Once I started looking at it that way, that I'm not going to let that define or defeat me, and I'm just going to go and live my life forward and actually use that part as something that I can turn a negative into a positive, deal with it with kindness and grace and dignity in the whole situation. That's where things really changed for me, that realization. A lot of people say, you know, you have to forgive, and that's the first thing of moving forward, not to anybody else but for yourself and if you can do that great but also at the same time I understand that if people can't because they've been through horrible things it's hard to forgive someone that's done horrible things to you but it's about okay I'm accepting this as this was my unfortunately my circumstance in my life but you know what that's not going to define who I am it's not going to defeat me it's not my fault I'm not the one to blame. This doesn't take my confidence and my, my self-worth away. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go on and do 
be an amazing person, be bigger and better and go into it with kindness. And I think that's what's important. One of the lovely things I see in your book is you write down three things on a post-it note and you put it on the fridge. What prompted that and how does it help you? I to some of those things is like gratitude and kindness and, and things that I try to really practice today. And that's been massive for me to actually do that. And every, pretty much almost every day, but at least every week I write down things that I'm grateful for and things that I do have in my life and things that make me happy. And I think it's just one of those things when you look at it and, and you kind of look from the outside and you see it written and it just kind of puts things into perspective. I think sometimes we get lost and sometimes we don't realize some of the things that we, we maybe have. And, and for me, gratitude has been a massive thing in being able to actually be happy for what I do have and not constantly maybe chasing things. Happiness is not about getting that next thing. Happiness and joy is actually being in the moment and really being happy with what you do have. So that's kind of what prompted that. I loved seeing the positive things maybe that I do have in my life and, and being able to reflect on that. And, and I think it's a really important part of healing. Well, a big part of your healing is writing these books and fearless finding the power to thrive embodies somebody who demonstrates extraordinary courage and resilience and fortitude, but also inspiration, Yelena. And I love the fact that you round out the book with five pages of resources and helpline numbers because you mean what you say and you deliver. This book is to help people. Yes. So ultimately, I wanted this book to be a book of hope. And it is all about kindness and gratitude and a lot of the things that I think that has definitely helped me. It's about finding the power to thrive. And how do you do that? And, and two big things in my life is belief and hope. I always believe that I can get through anything. I did it in tennis. I think as a tennis player and as an athlete, you have to believe that you can beat anyone, even if it's the greatest of all time that you're playing. If you don't, if you've already lost before you've even stepped foot on the tennis court. So that was a big thing for me as an athlete, but also in life. I don't think I would be here at all, like in this world and alive right now, if I didn't constantly believe that I can somehow get through it. And I always have that hope. And I always had hope that there is something better, that I will find a way. Those were the two big things. So, yeah, I think having those, like you say, those five pages and those numbers is extremely important. I work also with some of those organizations and they're amazing and they save lives every single day. I've seen it firsthand. And it is something that, again, I think that at the time in the 90s, you know, in early 2000s, we didn't talk about that. We didn't have that help. Or certainly we didn't talk about it as much as we do now going, you can call a 24-hour line and, and get someone to talk to and get that help. So, yeah, of course, it was very important to put that at the end of the book for people to, to have those references. Yeah. Now, you talk about belief and hope. We don't want any more mountains for you to have to climb. You've climbed enough and conquered. <laughs> I wonder, though, professionally, what's a big mountain you want to climb next? Where's a big dream that is just waiting around the corner? Something that you really want to do. Look, I always say uh, I am not sure what the next five years look like because I didn't think I would be where I am now. If you told me seven years ago that I would be a commentator and a speaker and two books out, I wouldn't have believed you. So I always kind of go a step at a time. But I do want to write a children's book. That is a big dream of mine. 
And then, yeah, just continue my TV work. I want to maybe get into more some more TV hosting. I would love to host a travel show. I just love to travel. <laughs> that would be amazing. You never know. And, um, yeah, a TED Talk. That is a big dream of mine. But that's happening, isn't it? Haven't you got one coming up? Yes, Gold Coast, actually, the 15th of November. So that's exciting. So if I can do, you know, more TED Talks, that would be excellent as well. Yeah, step at a time. I have, you know, private things I want to still, you know, accomplish as well. But to be honest, the biggest one is to continue doing what I'm doing. And if I can change a life and if I can help someone in front of any professional and private goals, that is the first. That's really what I want my legacy to be. Now, this is a, a very personal question and you can choose to answer it or not. Mm-hmm. You navigated a relationship for 19 years. Yeah. Is there anyone on the horizon? Is someone circling you at the moment with good intent? I haven't. We, we broke up uh, two years ago. That's a 19-year relationship. I've never been alone. So it's been a, a big change for me. And uh, to be honest with you, I haven't been ready. I haven't done anything at all, been even on a date, to be honest with you. And I'm not ready yet. I know that day will come because I really believe in life. I do love being in a re- in a relationship and being in a long-term t- relationship. And I'm a bit of a, I'm shy, I'm an introvert, I'm a homebody. So I, I like to kind of be in love and, and have that person that I can share the good and the bad. Yeah, I'm just not ready at the moment, but I think that day will come. I'm still kind of just in the process of actually loving, to be honest with you, being by myself. It was hard at first, but I now love it. But the thing with me is, though, look, I really do believe in love. I'm a hopeless romantic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I hope to find that one day again. That would be amazing. And uh, at the same time, if it happens, amazing. If it doesn't, um, I'll, I'll go from there. You never know. Maybe even adopt as well. That is a big, big dream of mine also. And I think I can do that either way, whether I'm in a relationship or not. Well, that's what we love about you, Yelena Dokic. You are open, honest, raw, courageous, and uh, you shine a light and a path for so many of us who are struggling. You know, your rawness, your ability to put it out there and, and take the trolls on and help everyone understand that, you know, it's a human journey and some days you're going to be low. But um, full credit to you for just being so strong and, and open about it. We just loved having you here at Chalk Black. So thank you so much for spending some time with us and best of luck with the TEDx talk. I'll be keeping an eye out for it. I'm sure you'll slay it. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time and the opportunity to talk about this and some of the really tough topics that um, I think can only help others if we talk about it and it can resonate hopefully with someone else. So thanks so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.